Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony, how are we? I'm really well, how are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little, no, it's fine. No, fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 116 of the Corona Diaries. (laughs) Have you noticed I'm starting to slow that down? (laughs) I have. Just to put you under extreme pressure, (laughs) which is a bit cruel on the hottest day ever in the UK. The colour is slowly returning to my skin. Um, It it is warm up here in the the, uh, creative artist's attic. The, the creative space under the forty-five degree angled roof, in order to maximise the heat from the sun. <laughs> Your personal inspiration station. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I've grown bananas <laughs> inside my clothes. Well, at least you've not done something silly like <laughs> I don't know, put a carpet on the wall to to keep more of the heat in. <laughs> You should see this room, man. It just looks like someone has thrown a grenade in here. (laughs) (laughs) Are you naturally, I've never thought to ask, are you naturally a cluttered, are you clutter-free or or clutter-not-free, whatever the alternative is? My self-image is one of of a minimalist, Mm. Uh, but that's bullshit because everywhere I go is covered in crap. Um, so whilst I aspire to minimalism, it doesn't sit well with me um, because, well, I guess I'm old and I've just acquired a lot of shit, shit. that I mm. can't bring myself to throw out. I mean, I've thrown out anything I can bring myself to throw out. But as I sit here right now, I'm looking at an electronic drum kit, which uh, I can't throw out because it's vibes. Um a, a Yamaha P250 leaning against the wall, which I guess could go back to the record club. Um, but it's got to lean- get it down the stairs, though, haven't you? Uh, they're very heavy. And le- yeah. leaning it against the wall seemed like the best option, having bought mm-hmm. this Roland RD2000, which which I wanted to try instead. Um, so that's there. In, in front of me, there's a load of filing cabinets with focal monitor speakers on them. On the floor are... are Tannoy monitor speakers that I used to use before I got the focals um, that Vibes ran off with and then brought back. Um, then there's stage clothes hanging up, uh, which I brought back from a racket club for for my gig with Trevor Horn in August because I won't have time to go at the racket club because I'll be flying in from Denmark. Um, then in front of me is a, is an RD two thousand a mic on a stand. To my immediate right is a, is a, a Browner condenser mic on a stand for posher recordings. Um, <coughs> then to to my further right is another filing cabinet covered in bits of crap, including uh, a Christ from Rio, um, a lovely picture of Lynetta. Um, an SM58 microphone, a camera, 
A little chap that bounces up and down, this one. <laughs> I can see how you couldn't be you couldn't bear to part with that. <laughs> Some ink. <laughs> a Wellington boot shaped mug from oh, yes. a Christmas market in, in Cologne, full of pens and a strange and a strange creature that looks like Superman that vibes made out of a drinking straw. Um A sort of stainless steel ruler that I got from the Japanese bullet train. And then there's a space egg. Now, this space egg was given to me many years ago by an, ad- <laughs> by an admirer. And, uh, can it's got their ashes in it. <laughs> it's got ashes in it. And it's full of bits of nonsense. Little bit, badges and... Badges ah. and beads and beads, bits of lucky stones. <laughs> a key to something I've no idea what it is. <laughs> I could throw that away. To be fair, that, that I don't think I'd miss that. And and yes, little mementos from the Cavern Club and the Cat and the Beatles shop and God knows what. Look, there's a Paul McCartney shaped. Viol- Hofner violin bass uh, badge. Yeah. I didn't even know I'd got that. Anyway, I'm going to put that all back in the space egg. I'm going to put the space egg back. Then what else is there? I mean, there's just so much shit. And then there's a rack of compressors, more filing cabinets, a MIDI keyboard, two acoustic guitars, one that Rothers lent me for a day and a half about eight years ago. Uh, another one, an Auden guitar that Rothers managed to blag for me. That's black, like something Ooh. like something Elvis would play. So, I, hello, uh, a shredder for uh... shredding. <laughs> shredding. <laughs> That's another story, but we'll have to be off mic for that. Remind right, me okay. at the end. <laughs> um, right, okay, I've already got a suspicion. I know what it's for. <laughs> And just stuff everywhere. Uh, you haven't mentioned your vocal booth thing. That's oh, yeah, a vocal booth, isn't my it? Vocal booth thing. Mm. Uh, yes, it's just like a wrap around um, acoustic insulation thing that makes you feel like you're in a vocal booth. And as far as I can tell, performs no function whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Other than being one of those things I felt I should have and bought yes. and then thought, well, why on earth have I bought that? It doesn't do anything. I, yeah, but it so makes you look like a singer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something has to. Yeah. The kind of singer who thinks that one of those will make a difference is clearly a singer. Yes. It's very serious about what they do. Very serious about what they do. Yes. Well, I am. You've got a problem with your early reflections, haven't you? It's the only thing I am serious about, really. <laughs> and the book, the book that's to your left, I guess, which is the diary, I'm assuming. This one? Yeah. Can you see it from there? Yes, yeah, yeah. that is the diary. Yeah, what's it on, though? Is that a spindle of DVDs? That's a spindle of... Uh... Oh, fuck knows what it says. What's over there? It says Marillion Ruffs, November 08. So that was a while back. So Marillion Ruffs. Yeah, 
uh, the rough mix is that that sounds like a Facebook group. <laughs> and then a pile of uh, pile of postcards, a birthday card, because uh, I ran yes. out and I've had to print some more, which is sitting on top of a pile of of white cardboard envelopes to use for sending out bookmarks, which is sitting on top of two boxes of um, purple thoughts. <laughs> Uh, notepads. Notepads, which I can't give away. Right. <laughs> we need to have a word with the purples here, don't we? In fact, we need to have a word with everybody. You wanted merch and it's just sat there. Yeah, nobody's bought anything for years. No. Uh, I've got this shop now, this Shopify shop that's part of, that you access through the com site for my swag. Yeah. And it's costing me about... 20 quid a month to run the shop and nothing's selling. Uh, so probably because all the purples have already got it all, so there's nobody left to buy it. They but, must have filled the first notepad by now. You just thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's put a message out to everybody. For God's sake, buy another notepad. Buy another notepad. <laughs> What's buy the matter no- with you? <laughs> now, you see, this shop that you've got... Then I'll be able to no- get into my room. Yeah. There's no limit on floor space, is there, in this shop? Because it's all virtual, isn't it? Uh, what do you mean? Well, you could add things to it. There's no limit on shelf space. So you've only got, what, the, the two or three things on sale in your bit of the shop, haven't you? Yes, that's yeah. true. So why don't you start flogging bits from out your room? Yeah, I could, I suppose. Well, most of it, what's in here I couldn't bear to part with, apart right. from that Paul McCartney badge. Well, the, that, tan, the tannoy monitors. And that, Vibes has rejected them. That key. And the key. Yeah, the key. <laughs> Why don't you put that key on there as an auction item to see what it goes for? <laughs> a key to absolutely nothing. Yours <laughs> for a piffling 1,500 quid. But that happens. You know, people put used tea bags on eBay and make, make two grand, don't they? Why don't you just auction your key off? I could, I suppose, yeah. yeah. Just for yeah. just for a laugh, just for just just literally for shits and giggles. I'd feel morally so obliged to give them their money back at the end. Uh, oh, don't worry, no, don't, it had passed. That moral obligation had passed. Leave it, it a day; it'll it'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We haven't started, have we? We, we well, wanted well, 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 <laughs> well, into the contents well, of my room. I think we're doing quite well. Well, it's an insight into your life. There's even a thing on the shelf over there, which is a holder that you'd hold that you'd hold a trumpet on, and I haven't got a trumpet. <laughs> and I'm not sure, you- <laughs> I'm sure where it came from, but it's such a groovy thing I couldn't part with it. Who nicked your trumpet then? <laughs> I've never had a trumpet. It's just a trumpet holder. Oh, that's a really cruel gift, isn't it, from somebody? <laughs> I buy you this trumpet holder. Not buying well, your trumpet. It's next to my. Uh, it's next to my original oil painting of Miles Davis, though, um, which ah. was not by design. It's just happened to be there, and now I've I've only just noticed that. So it's the ghost of Miles's trumpet. Ah, I see. I see what you. Yeah. I've just concluded, not yes. having thought about it before. Oh, I'm I'm Miles. I'm loving your work. He's very serious, Miles. Keep waiting for him to crack a grin, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. No. Of course, no. He, he is a painting, to be fair. If he did crack a grin, I'd shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's a bit like 
<laughs> the eyes don't move, do they, round the room? <laughs> it's got a very compelling stare. Oh. Yeah. That follows you out the door. Yeah, I don't think Miles Davis was a, a, a character you, anybody messed with much. No. no, no, he had gravitas uh, and and a flick knife. I think probably yeah. even at his silliest, he probably wasn't silly. Well, do we know if Miles was ever silly? No, I don't know. I, in fact, I know next to bugger all about Miles, about Miles Davis, Davis. But but you just get the feeling, you know. There's not a lot of humour running through sketches of Spain, I'll tell you. No. You just get the feeling of, to enter a room with Miles Davis was to shut up and listen to what he was about yeah. to say and not much yeah. else. Yeah, I think I think I think that's probably about right. But that's genius a, that's, genius as he yeah, was. It's a curse though, isn't it? That? I wouldn't want to yeah. be like that. Bob no. Dylan, you know, you get the feeling that you know, just incredible loneliness because he's Bob Dylan and everybody's like, Tell me, oh master and you know, has he got any mates? I don't know. If you're listening, Bob, have you got any mates? I can I can reassure you, particularly after you work on TCD, that I don't think that's something you're going to be afflicted with. If Me? I'm, if I'm being honest, yeah. Oh, no. No, I'm quite the reverse. No, I don't a think bit... there's a lot of hem clutching going on. No, giving anyone a reason to take me seriously is, has been a problem all my life. I remember being stood with you backstage at Stuttgart uh, and I was the only one there because <laughs> everybody else was German, I guess. Um, and and you just wandered around. We were chatting, and you just got up, went to went to your toiletries bag, got your electric toothbrush, didn't didn't stop talking, and carried on talking as you were cleaning your teeth. Well, what's peculiar about that? One, one, I suppose nothing in your world. It's, I thought it was a slight, <laughs> slightly bit odd. <laughs> I won't mind. We're having a conversation about Brexit. <laughs> That's a hard know. word to say with a mouthful of foam. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you felt the need for your oral B to accompany whatever <laughs> point you were making. I wasn't talking about Brexit. I was probably talking about something else. It probably just came out like Brexit. <laughs> Brexit. <laughs> Nothing's come out like Brexit, honestly. <laughs> no, no, Nothing's no. come out like Brexit. No, not globally, anyway. No, no. no not in the universe. No. Anyway, we better crack on. Yes. Um, yes. yes. Um, good morning. Depending on, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> good morning, Stephen. Good to see you. Thanks for coming. Um, and depending on what you've managed to wedge into the conversation so far, um, because we started a bit of a chat off air. We did. Yeah. Uh, we did. Because I've, I've come up with a list. I've come up with an oh, yeah. idea for two potential song lists, right? Mm. Um, and, and one of them is one of them's kind of more like a a mixtape, really. One oh. of them's a, one of them's a, a gig, one of them's a weekend night, and one of them's a mixtape. And the first one, the mixtape, is, is which I'd I'd put the essence of H at the top of it because I see that written on a TDK C ninety, right? And, and what it was, I picked a song from every album that I thought was was you in. Either because it was a topic you were really, really passionate about, or it was you in spirit. Hmm. And I've tried more to go for you in spirit than in go for a topic. But some of them, it, it as we go through, you realise that was a big thing for you as a topic anyway. So I've put together this list, and I wanted to fly it by you, so you could say to me, after 115 episodes, you haven't got a clue who I am, have you? And that was the idea. Well, I've got a rough idea who you are. No, I meant I've got no idea about you. No, I know. 
No, I know. Uh, so it was more a case of how, what have we managed in 115 episodes to give people an insight into you? You're an Adonis. You've just walked for five miles or something. Well, I have. I have, but I didn't walk very quickly. Yeah, it doesn't um, matter. Um, so anyway, here we go. I'm going yeah, to start yeah, at the yeah. top, and you can, you can rip it down as we go, and we'll have a little discussion about each one. But season's end just had to be Easter. Is there anything else on season's end that, that talks about Steve H, the essence of Steve H more than Easter? Trying to think what's on it. Um, the space, maybe the space is is a you know would would be running somewhere in its slipstream, but but no, I think I think Easter would be it, really, in the sense that it was it's quite core to what I'm all about, or I'd like to feel I'm all about, which is a certain you know, empathy with anyone who's suffering. Um, and, you know, just a, I think I'd like to be a peacemaker. I'm not one, really, in real life. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a stirrer. Mm. <laughs> you are. I'm a bit of a stirrer. But, I mean, in, you know, in the, in the big scheme of things, I'd like, you know, if if the thing is, you know, if if you open your mouth and people, are, you know, a number of people are going to listen to what you have to say. I think I've probably said this before. Then, then you should say something that might, you know, that is a, a message of love in one way or another, that might bring people together, or might or might might um, might ask people to think about something. That that might have a positive outcome, other than a negative one. Um, so, I think Easter does that. Easter's a song of of empathy, really, and it's a song for the people who didn't get the news coverage. The people who got the news coverage were not the ordinary people who had to live amongst all that shit, and and bring their kids up in amongst it. So, I just wanted to write a song for them. Instead of, you know, I mean, I guess Yeats's poem, Easter 1916, was much more taken up with the struggle and the cause mm. and, the, you know, and the characters, uh, the, char- the characters that, that, that were trying to um, push back against the, the English and, uh, you know, create a united Ireland. So it was a very political, political poem. Um, whereas my my song, which channeled that poem here and there, was quite the reverse. It was just a song for ordinary people who wanted to live their life and bugger politics and the struggle. Because the, the problem with with all of these struggles, whether it you know whether it's communism or whatever it is, it starts off as as a pure thing, and it starts off as a philosophy and pure doctrine, and it very, very quickly becomes corrupted and turns mm. into gangsterism and um, intimidation. Um, and that's a shame, but it just sort of does. Um, so so Easter was just a song for ordinary people wanting to live a peaceful life. 
two things from that then. One, you you're uh, you're into peacemaking in the same way you're into minimalism. You like the idea of it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> Completely. I'm all for it. All for it. Uh, which is which is cool. I think it's a but good all, thing. Yes. No. No. That's fine. But the other thing, and you've mentioned this person in the past as well. When you meant when you talked about Easter like that, that it's slightly Dickens esque what you did, because you, there's an issue there, but you're you're talking at it at a very personal level of the people who are experiencing it, and Dickens did a bit of that. Dickens looked at a lot of issues, but they were through the through the story, weren't they? If you take what he was talking about in terms of workhouses or some of the poor laws or what have you, but it was it was seen at a people level. Yeah. Yeah, as as uh, uh, with you know, and imbued massively with the human spirit, with the yes. spirit of people, uh, which is what makes makes Dickens joyous, you know, to to read. You know, we, um, he doesn't say this is all wrong, and he, he just says he he, he kind of sets. A joyous scene, um, imbued with human spirit and the, the indefatigable human spirit, um, whilst at the same time the the um, the weight behind behind the the social or political um, aspects of what he's writing is always there. But it's not outlined. It sits in the it sits in the shadows behind behind the joy, really, of what, mm. of what he's writing, which I guess makes it even more powerful. I would agree, and and I get a bit of that with Easter. I get more than a bit of it. Well, good. I'm, I've got no problem being compared to him. No, no, <laughs> no. That's fine. I love Dickens. Actually, I really love love, love him as a writer. Well, bearing in mind you've pretty much. You know, sort of said that you're not going to get a Nobel Peace Prize anytime soon. Then, 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 Channeling Dickens is not a bad alternative, is it? No. Really. Um, so that takes us to holidays. So I needed to find a song in holidays that I thought was the essence of Steve H. Really struggled with holidays. Really struggled with holidays, and I ended up with Dryland. Hmm. Um, I thought no, I, I thought no one can was a bit on the nose. Um, if, if I'm allowed to use that phrase, <laughs> is it too on the nose? What do you think? Uh, uh, yes. So yeah. I ended up with Dryland, but what? have I missed a trick? What's on there? Splintering Hearts on there, isn't it? And um, well, I don't. I, t- I can tell you that I tell you what I nearly went for. What did you nearly go for? I nearly went for the Rake's Progress. Mm. Hundred Nights of Fun and Games. Yeah, all of that. Well, um, what? I, I mean, the one the the thing about what Easter and Dry Land have in common, to be honest, being as we've just started with those two. They both got great melodies, and I, I say that as a man who, who doesn't always write a great melody. But I mean, the the 
the as I've said before, the, the melody for Easter was kind of nicked from the Sky Boat song. Hmm. And sort of turned inside out and upside down. I was trying. I was channeling that. I was trying to write a skyboat song for Ireland. Um, so the 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 rhythm of that melody and the way the melody rises and falls, although it's not that melody, it's not the skyboat song at all. You can hear that they're the sisters, you know, as, mm. as melodies. Um, and, of course, the melody of the Skyboat song is classic and beautiful. Um, and Dry Land, you know, the, the the chorus melody of Dry Land might be one of the best melodies I ever wrote in, in the sense that it's a bit strange and yet falls really beautifully on the chords, mm. which, which Colin War wrote. Um so he, he he sent me a demo of the of the chords with the with the chorus chords as well and that was what I you know was inspired to throw on top um and it's the movement of the chords that inspired the melody of course but but it's it's still you know I, I guess you could have thrown those chords at a lot of people. They might not have written that melody. No, that's fair. Um, and I'm not blowing my own trumpet because I've written a lot of very average melodies as well. But uh, Easter and Dry Land are, are, are both, um, you know, if you take No One Can, nice enough, but it, it's, it, you know, it's not going to go down in in uh, history as a classic melody um so so dryland would win for the melody and also for having a certain gravitas no one can doesn't really have gravitas it's um it's a straight ahead from the heart love song and it's quite simple um you know, and the best line in No One Can is, uh, who was it said that? Tony Smith, actually, who managed Genesis, said to me, that's a great line. There's something of you in everything that I love. How it moved him. Uh, didn't move him enough to get us an American record. <laughs> but it, <laughs> forgive and forget, Steve. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it did move him. And uh, that 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 was... That was probably the most honest line in the song. Um, especially if you've got children, then then you can say to your the mother of your children, there's, there's something of you in everything that I love mm. because there's your kids and mm. there's and then there's your memories of all mm. the shared you know, the shared memories. So blimey, it's very hard for me to know what I would call my essence, but I certainly wouldn't argue with dry land. Mm. Okay, let's move on to brave. Mm. I, I had two choices for brave. I, I guess I straight away went to Hollow Man. Mm. Um, um, but then I thought about it, and I thought, I don't know. I've always there's always been a bit about hard as love that. That felt like it was a, it it felt too, 
too strong a lyric to not resonate maybe to your growing up or your past? Well, the 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 irony there is that, that John Helmer wrote that lyric. I, ah, I added. Got, do you know what? I've not even thought about that. I added very little to it. I guess you used to have it. I wrote that. He wrote. I hear you. I hear that you were looking out to hunt me down. I don't know what he wrote with the second line, but I replaced the second line. Well, then I guess you used to having everything you want. But you know, love can be as hard as sticks and stones. He wrote. Well, I hear you got my number and you want my name. I'm a stream and knots and crosses in your RAM. You know, love can be as hard as algebra. That's a great line. That, John wrote all of that. Um, makes you hungry, makes you high, makes you suffer, makes you cry. It's all worthwhile. I think he wrote that. And then later on, uh, I wrote all of makes you panic, makes you vain, mm. uh, sick and sad, tied up and beaten, spat out and eaten, mm. suicidal, nothing's ever been as high. I wrote all that. So that was a bit of a, that was me running with what he'd got to start mm. with and, and extrapolating it. We needed a few more words and then sometimes he'd write a line that I thought I thought was wrong for me and so I'd dream something up that reflected how I am more. Um and so hard as love was, we probably ended up about sixty forty, you know, sixty yeah. John forty me. But once I've got hold of it, of course, I will take the I will take the lines that he's written that represent how I feel anyway, because it because that's why I'll sing them. Um, I'm not very good at singing other people's words unless I feel what they're saying. You know, and, and and I feel like I could have written it. If I don't feel like I could have written it, then I'm very uncomfortable singing it, which is why there's so much of the Fugazi album I don't feel I could have written and just isn't what I'm about as a, as a human being. So I really struggle then to, which is what, why I hardly ever perform any of that stuff because it's just not me and I feel like a performing dog if I do it. Mm. Um but going back to Hard as Love and co- and comparing that to uh, Hollow Moan, and I'm really sorry about that car alarm that's going off somewhere. I don't know if you can hear it. No? Keeps going off no. and then stopping. It's probably mine. <laughs> um, Hollow Man was, is, is much more my essence from beginning to end. Mm. That That was a confession about how I was feeling completely at the time and some would argue it barely belongs in brave because it's it's um i think it belongs in brave in terms of how bleak it is uh and the color of it it's a, it's a dark it's a dark ghostly introspective song but lyrically it doesn't really fit on there unless you, unless you say, well, th- this is the internal, um, th- this is the internal um, d- monologue of her father, um, which is how how I started to see it. Once once I felt it, it was going to go on the re- on the record, but 
really, when I wrote those words, they were just a straight confession of what I felt I'd become. Um, all dressed up in my stage clothes and my glittery sh- mad shit. Um, and how I was becoming increasingly shiny externally whilst this void was opening up inside me by degrees internally. And I did feel like a tin can. Um, so that was, you know, we're tin hard and we rattle when we're shaken. It, it's kind of how I felt I'd become. Um, so that was absolutely my essence. That was an attempt to say, look, this is who I am now um, to everybody. All right, well, I'll, I'll cross out Hard as Love then and forget I ever wrote it down. Uh uh, yeah, I would. I'd go with Hollow Man definitely. Um, that brings us to AOS, and the, do you know what? This was really hard because I wrote Beyond You down straight away. In fact, it was one of the first things I wrote down because I didn't do the list in order. I actually picked a few songs, and then I kind of went, "Okay, yeah, I get that. Very personal song." But then I thought about Beautiful, and I just thought, if we're talking about the essence of you rather than something else, then I don't know whether it's it's beautiful instead. Is there anything on the album I've missed? Maybe A Friday of Sunlight itself. Um, King, of course. Um, hmm. Again, is, is a reflection on being famous and what that does to you and that slight fear of looking over my shoulder and watching all these other cats dying, <laughs> thinking, <laughs> this is a dangerous profession I'm in here. Um, more dangerous than a lot of people really think. You know, you think of a dangerous profession, lion taming or being a fireman or something, but doing this is bloody dangerous. If you if you look at the stats, you know, it does kill a lot of people. It does kill a lot of people. Um so King was, to some extent, was me looking nervously over my shoulder um, and thinking, yeah, it could happen. Um, because I was quite lost at that period in my life. Um, so there was every chance of, of me, you know, going out the window or off the roof, um, metaphorically, if not physically, um, at that point. So King was about... You know, how long can you stand the uh, the kiss of success, you know? Uh, the ensuing, all-consuming mess, because I felt like I was in one at that point. Um, so that's very... That was confessional at the same time as it was obviously observational and looking, yeah. at, looking at Cobain and looking at all the, all the cats that had died. Um and looking at the you know OJ and the the mess he got into and 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 how these people who they become successful and because by virtue of their success they become glamorous and they become attractive and by virtue of that they get into all kinds of of, of they get into scrapes you know they might marry the wrong woman or, or you know. Uh, marry some gold digger that drives them crazy, or, or they might marry someone who's very nice, who who, who they're beastly to because they're so selfish, because they're used to getting everything they want. So 
being being successful and famous or glamorous is is one hell of a slippery slide to hang on to and you need a great deal of you need to be very self-assured and you need to know who you are and what you want you need to be charlie watts you don't need to be mick jagger um and even charlie sort of came off the rails for a time Mm. um but managed to hang on to himself um so king maybe um Beyond You, of course, is just a song about aching um, for someone and having to drive away. Um, but, but Beyond You, yeah, musically, is very, very stylized. It was an experiment to see if we could create a Phil Spector song. Mm. Um and we just went for it, you know, from the ground up with every Phil Spector uh, cliche we could ram on there. We did, you know, right down to the castanets. <laughs> if I was a child. <laughs> uh, so we had a lot of fun, uh, although it's a really, really achingly sad song. We did have quite a lot of fun recording it. Um and that's got a good tune. I mean, the it's quite an interesting. It's not exactly a Commodore Garden pop tune, no. is it? No. Um, so I'm quite proud of of that again as a melody. Um, Hollow Man too. They're all good melodies. These that yeah. you you've picked out. Um, beautiful is much less personal and much more didactic in the sense that I'm saying to everybody, this is how the world should be, isn't it? You know, why is the world like this? And why can't it be like this? I mean, it's just common sense, isn't it? You know. But But, but that's that's your belief system that I could argue hasn't changed all the way through. Well, no, I am who I am. Um, and I hate to see prejudice, and I hate all of uh, hate may be too strong. I, I may be turning into the thing I'm, I'm railing against if I use the word hate. But um, I think I think prejudice is a silly and stupid thing. I, th- I think if you're bright, you can't be prejudiced because if you're bright, you can think through it. Yeah. If you're if you're well travelled. It's very hard to be prejudiced because you've met all these people that fall into that box that you supposedly don't like. You know, you've met you've met the black people, you've met the gay people, you've met the Chinese people, you've met the Japanese, but you've met the French. You know, all yeah. of these people. You know, oh, I don't like the French. Oh, I don't like this. I'm very suspicious of that. You know, then you go there and you go, oh, these people are great. You know, I'd swap, I'd swap these for most of my mates. <laughs> so, you know, to travel removes prejudice, I think. Um, and so what I really said, I, I was thinking of the whole, um, you know, of prejudice. Everybody knows we live in a world we give bad names to beautiful things. How fucking mad is that? Well, you know, why would you give a bad name to a gay person? Why why would you give a bad name to a black person? 
you know, what's that about? You know, um, and the, the whole thing with the leaves is about the cycle of life and how insignificant we are, and we we all we all go turn from green to red to brown, fall to the ground, and get kicked around, and and then get then return to the earth. So. We're, and we're all beautiful, every single last one of us. And we and we have the power to be ten times that in how we choose to live. Um, so that's when, all I was trying to say. Yeah, but listening to the way you explained that, that's I, I think that's the reason why I put it down, because of the way you just articulated that. Because it wasn't a... That wasn't a kind of a, 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 a kind of throwaway explanation. That was heartfelt. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, but that was you saying that in the anyway. Hence the reason. I, hence the reason I wrote it down. I mean, that, that entire song can be summed up in that one line, which which I never really got to till I practically threw it on at the end, which is, you know, you're strong enough to be beautiful hmm. because people who aren't, it, it, that's often out of weakness. Hmm. I think we should stop there and go to a bit of diary. Oh, uh, right. I, I realise I've started something now that's going to take us about five episodes to get through. <laughs> well, never mind. We've got uh, we've got nothing but time. <laughs> we've got time. <laughs> um, and do you know what? I've not even read the diary this week. Have you read it? I have. Have you? I have, man. I oh. was there while you were out pounding the shires, becoming uh, yeah, an Adonis. I was yeah. in my garret putting on weight, reading. Um and yes, I have, and oh my God, that was a day and all. It's another one. Is it? Um, yeah, it is. It was a hell of a day. I'd come overnight on the bus and uh, and I'd wrecked my neck in the night and couldn't move. <laughs> and I got a show to do. I couldn't get off the shelf. <laughs> I'm lying there thinking, oh no, what am I going to do? <laughs> oh, I'm looking. Well, don't tell me anymore because I'm not going to read it now. And right. I'll hear it when, when, when I do the QC, I'll hear it then. All right. So don't well, tell me. I won't tell you anymore, but. It, it, what it led to is is even worse. Right. Well, look forward to this. Wednesday, thirteenth of October, Quebec, la capitale. At some point in the middle of the night, I realised I was awake and with a certain feeling in the back of my neck. It was the slow internal movement that I remembered from the last time it ricked, and sure enough, as I held perfectly still in the darkness, I felt it go. It's a feeling that can hardly be described. It's like something slides inside and then there's an intense pain like cramp, which can only be eased by finding a certain body position, but any attempt to move head or body results in return of the intense cramp, like a spear stuck in it. Now I'm in trouble. I spent the rest of the night trying to find a position where there was no pain, but it's impossible to lie in the same position all night, and every time I moved, the pain returned. There was nothing much I could do but try and get back to sleep. Eventually I must have dozed off, but when I next woke, the pain was even more intense, as I had, no doubt, moved around in my sleep. 
I carried on like this until I could hear signs of life in the bus and people moving around, and then I asked tour manager Quinner to see if he could find me some kind of physiotherapist, as I certainly couldn't perform tonight in this state. I know from experience that it normally eases up during the day, but how much is anybody's guess? It took me some time to find a way out of the bus bunk. The pain was so severe, whenever I moved, I found myself letting out involuntary yelps as I attempted to get into my clothes and onto my feet. Out in the street, it was evident that we were parked in Quebec's old town, just by the city walls. It's the only walled city in the North American continent. It was a gorgeous day, and I alighted the bus with Wes and saw Lise out in the street, sitting on some steps with a coffee. I asked her where she'd got it, and she pointed at an adjacent coffee shop, so Wes and I wandered in, where we found Steve Rothery already sat down with a coffee and some kind of cake. I killed time with the boys until Quenna returned to say that the hotel had found me a sports physio, Dr Blaise Dubois, no less, and I must take a cab to a surgery about 20 minutes away. Annie, the hotel manager, took me over the road and spoke to the taxi driver on my behalf. My French isn't quite up to the intricacies of explaining directions to far-flung surgeries. She even gave me 40 Canadian dollars to get me there and back. I'll put it on the room, she said. What a girl. Most hotel staff wouldn't have bothered moving from the front desk. The taxi eventually arrived at a kind of mall somewhere and the driver helped me find the surgery, locate the doctor and gave me a number so that I could call him back when I was finished. After waiting a while, I was shown in to see Dr Blaise Dubois. I was expecting a Belgian-looking man with a dark, curly moustache, but instead I found a short-haired, young, Scandinavian-looking guy with sculpted, blonde, Frank Zappa face fuzz. Très chic. And a very pleasant and knowledgeable chap. His English was patchy, but not as patchy as my French, yet we managed to communicate in both languages at once. He soon found the places in my neck and upper spine and I winced with admiration at the ease with which he inflicted colossal pain upon me. After much exploratory prodding, he concluded that it was probably unwise to manipulate me as it would probably render me in even more pain for the show tonight. So he applied a hot pack to my neck to relax the muscles a little and then I was left alone to cook for 20 minutes. When he returned, he stretched me a bit to see if this might help, and by the time he'd finished, I did have a little more freedom of movement. He prescribed 600 milligrams of ibuprofen every four hours, and so, after being relieved of $70, I went round the corner to the pharmacy to buy some. I returned to the gig in the taxi. The taxi driver seemed most keen that I should use his company to get to the airport in the morning, so I booked him to come up to the hotel at 4am. I fly at 6.05 to Honolulu, Hawaii. There's a chap called Daniel Allen who lives in Hawaii and he left a note on my stevehogarth.com guestbook saying he would like to thank Marillion for the many years of music and to show his appreciation he is offering to fly all five of us to Hawaii for an all-expenses-paid holiday. 
too good to be true? Well, the boys thought so. But I made a few inquiries and thought, what the hell? He seems to be sincere and says he is wealthy and can easily afford it, that it would be his pleasure and a privilege. I contacted him and, as I was the only taker, he offered to fly my wife from London so we could meet up in Hawaii and enjoy his treat together. He has booked her flight and she's probably already en route along with mine, from Quebec tomorrow morning at dawn. What an extraordinary and generous chap. I returned to the hotel around 3.15, still not having checked in. The Hotel du Capital is physically adjoined to the Theatre du Capital, tonight's gig, and the building in which it's housed is one of the most beautiful buildings in Quebec. I checked into room 321, for the second time this tour, which had a beautiful view over old Quebec to the seaway beyond, and Annie persuaded the chef to make me a chicken club sandwich, which was brought up to me in my room, another bending of the rules, so that I could have time to have a bath and eat breakfast before the sound check at 4pm. By now the ibuprofen was working, and I felt much improved as I lowered myself into a heavenly hot bath. The sandwich eventually turned up just before four o'clock, so I ate it on the run as I got ready to go down to Soundcheck. The Capitol Theatre is a beautiful old cabaret theatre accessible directly from the hotel. I arrived on stage, still clutching the club sandwich plate as I finished breakfast at 4.15. The whole place is a good size for us, although it was slightly disconcerting to see tables and chairs about the place there'd be little chance of equaling the vibe of last night's Montreal show at the Spectrum. Time was tight as we had to leave to do an in-store appearance and signing session at 5pm. The stage sound was good though. Mike's really on top of my monitor needs now and I rarely have to ask him for anything. Luckily, we managed to grab five minutes back in our rooms before leaving for the signing session, so I got time to take some more tablets. Having been in pain all day, I was beginning to feel physically tired and I briefly contemplated cancelling the signing session, but I figured it wouldn't take long. Wrong. Unlike the quick journey across town I was expecting, we were bundled into cars which drove out of town for 20 minutes to a suburban mile in the St Foy area. By the time we arrived, I was hurting, tired and worried about the show. At least it's the last one. If I'd wrecked my neck two weeks ago in LA, the whole tour would have been a struggle. We made our way through the underground car park and up through a maze of tradesmen's corridors into the back of a large music store and then out to the shop floor where a queue had formed to see us. A little cheer went up as we sat down at a trestle table and Quinna saved the day by sorting me out with a beer. Most of the girls and all of the guys wanted to shake my hand as they filed past for signatures. Every handshake hurt my neck, especially the firm no-nonsense grip favoured by the Canadian men. They all mean well, of course, but after an hour of this, I was praying silently for it to stop. The queue finally came to an end, and then everybody wanted their photographs taken with us, so just when I thought it was over, it wasn't. 
I must confess I gave it five minutes and then went back to the back of the shop to hide until the boys caught up. We returned to the hotel another 25 minutes to be told that we must meet on the fourth floor at 8pm for a meet and greet. This gave me just enough time to shave. I still don't know why or who we met. They were all very nice, but I wasn't really introduced to anyone. We arranged to meet back up in hotel reception at 9pm to go next door for the 9.30 stage time. This gave me the best part of 45 minutes alone with nothing to do. Heaven. I found a miniature bottle of Cromagnier in the minibar and slugged that down. The only way to get through tonight's performance was to drink loads and fast. So I set about doing just that. Quebec was lit up outside my window now in the darkness. Really a beautiful sight as I relaxed in the dark on my bed. At nine o'clock, I made my way down to reception and then over to backstage where a leopard skin pattern chaise long seemed to be the centrepiece of the room. A shame we couldn't have got it in the truck. Got ready for the show in between gulps of Canadian beer and hit the stage feeling not too bad. The show was pretty intense, but not in the same league as yesterday. To be honest, I wasn't at my most lucid and sober, so it may have been better or worse than I remember. After the show, the band immediately got down to the serious business of having an end-of-tour celebration drink in the hotel bar. This was a pretty chaotic affair with a mixture of band, chums, fans and eventually crew. The proceedings were made more colourful by the appearance of Andy, a transvestite in full drag, including fishnet stockings and a miniskirt. I'm all for it. By now, I was the wrong or right side of a few tequilas and feeling no pain whatsoever, which was just as well. A minimum of two people were trying to talk to me at any one time, all of the time, and I tried mostly in vain to understand or respond with anything lucid or articulate. My master plan was to stay up until 3.30 and then take the taxi to the airport. However, around 2, I hit a wall of exhaustion and party overload and snuck off upstairs to my room to crash. I had arranged a wake-up call for 3.45. This would give me a cosy 15 minutes to shower and get out to fly to Honolulu via Newark, New York at 6.05am. Thursday. 14th of October, Quebec. Woken by pink dawn light streaming in through the window, I noticed two things. The phone was off the hook. I must have knocked it off getting into bed. Two, it was 7.05am, an hour after my flight took off to Honolulu. Bugger. <laughs> And we're back. Hey! Hey! I got it in really uh, quickly that time. Yeah, you did very well that time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't. I don't try and. You know. I mean, obviously, the, the intro now. I'm trying to see how much oxygen I can take from your brain. <laughs> see, it affects the rest of the episode. But I can't do it in the middle. Um, I'm not going to ask questions about the diary, but I really enjoyed it. Good. <laughs> I'm glad, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm it was glad great. you did. I uh, know it was fantastic. It was fairly true. It started 
with a trauma and ended with one. Right. Oh, yes. What a trauma at the end. He says, still not knowing what that trauma is. Anyway, back to our list, which looks like it's going to spill over into, into the next episode as well. Um, so we get to this strange engine. So, so far, just as a recap, we've agreed on Easter and Dryland, and we've agreed on Hollow Man, I think, and it's jury's still out on um, AOS hmm. uh, a little bit because you threw King in, uh, and I get that, and I've not, I've not seen that association quite in the way you've explained it. So, yeah, well, jury's still out on, on, on AOS, but the first three we've agreed on. So moving on to this strange engine. I had to write this strange engine down because I couldn't think of anything else there that was... And I know it's autobiographical, but I couldn't think of anything else on the album that really channeled the essence of H as much as this strange engine, even though it is very, very literal. Yeah, well, it's literally... I guess that song just says, this is where I came from. Yeah. You know, the, the, these are the uh, amino acids in the test tube that I sprang from. Sprung? Sprang? Sprung. Did I sprung from? Um, and uh, Yeah, sprung, I think. A-E. <laughs> sprang. Did I sprang from? Um and that's, a, that's 57 comments on Patreon, that. <laughs> Just that little bit alone. <laughs> And and so, you know, the story about my dad and the fact that it took me most of my life before I sort of sat up straight one day, I went, Christ, you did all that for me. And I'd never given it a thought. And it's funny how we're not wired as, as children. We're not wired to appreciate or give a flying fuck about the about what our parents do for us and the sacrifices they make for us we're just not wired to care no. we're actually wired to go well you brought me into this world get on with it you know i felt like that uh you know you mother you know you had me but i never had you uh to quote lennon and um so, but but you do reach an age one day where you go, my God, what my what my mum went through for me, or what my dad went through for me, and 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 it makes you sit up straight. And usually, it's having your own kids that that makes you realise that. Yeah, it's the catalyst, so it's, isn't it? It's self pity. <laughs> 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 so it's still self self self, but it's kind of. <laughs> It's then it's then reflected into a greater understanding and appreciation of what your own parents did. Um, so I guess that was the impulse that created TSC. Although, as it, again, as I've often said before, whatever brought that on, it it came to me in the middle of the night as a stream of consciousness and I barely I could barely write it down at the speed that mm. it was coming out. So God alone knows where it was coming from. Um and I've said all I've also said before I don't know if I've said it to you, but I've said before that a lot of what you write um is either sent to you like a radio signal, and, you, and you're just a, an aerial that picks it up and translates it. That's one thing. And the other possibility that, that f- would feel the same is 
that you cook it in your subconscious. You like you've got an oven that it's sitting in, and you're not aware of it being there at all. And then one day the the door flies open, and it all splurges out. But the way it feels is that you haven't thought of it. It's just boom. It, it it's come to you like like you're a, a radio antenna, and someone someone else has sent it. That's how it feels. Um, if you're spiritual, then you you could perhaps suspect there's... You know, I, there was a guy called Des O'Connor, not the Des O'Connor, but Des O'Connor who was in Harlow, the, my first band, and he was a good songwriter. And he died young. And I sometimes think, I wonder if I'm getting this stuff from him. You know, um, because sometimes it feels like it's... A, I haven't written it, it's just been sent. Um, who would send me songs? And I think, oh, Des might. You know, it might be his way of getting it out there from beyond the beyond. Um, and I do occasionally look up and give him a nod, you know, in case he has been. <laughs> it's not worth risking. It's not worth risking, that one. You know, give him a nod, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, well, that's how I genuinely feel. Um, it keeps a lightning bolt away from your door. You want to? Yeah, well, there's there's plenty of potential for that. Um, or maybe they just cook in the subconscious for ages, and, and you I, you think of that stage as as writer's block because you got nothing to say. And think I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Panic, 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 and then woof. Hmm. Where the hell did that come from? Um, that's for the most part how my creative process has been. I was I was sitting having a gin last night with a bloke who said to me, um, "You know, do you write something every day? Do you do you kind of what's your process? Do you do you get up in the morning and do a bit?" And I go, "Man, no, nothing. Sometimes nothing for months and months and months, and then boom." And I'll scribble a load of stuff down, and I think, well, that's all rubbish. And I'll go back to it and think, oh, hang on a minute, it's not, you know, it's it's quite interesting there. Um, so that's my process. My process, if I've got one, is either the the oven in the subconscious or the antenna picking up Radio Caroline. Next time something comes to you in the antenna moment, maybe you ought to. Shove a credit on the album for Des. That might be a nice thing to do. Yeah, no, I, I should put him on the thanks list. Yeah, be, you know, yeah. anyway, because uh, he deserves it. For um, I guess everybody really who who um, got me here. You know, I once thanked Dave Margerison because Dave spent quite a bit of his own money on on me and Colin um, during the leaner sort of the fag end of how we live if you were whatever you want to call it you know when it was when we hadn't got a deal and it was just all fading away and dying out and Dave tried to keep it alive with hard cash for quite a while I think he spent about 30 grand on on us until it finally hit the the skids and he, he couldn't you know there was nowhere else to take it and Dave Margerison also coined the phrase i think he was talking about tarama salata and he coined coined the phrase colors not found in nature and i thought it was a great <laughs> phrase <laughs> he which he also i think it was also applied to certain cocktails you go 
Ooh, don't know about that. A colour's not found in nature. And so, and I thought that was great. So when I wrote Ice Pop for uh, Isilda Spain, you know, when I wrote that lyric, because ice pops are quite often those strange colours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that blue. <laughs> Oh dear. So I thank Dave. I think I thanked Dave on the Isilda's Bane album credit. Uh, I didn't say he'd given me that title, but I think that's why I thanked him. That blue on an ice pop, you know, is often raspberry, and I never quite work out how they make the two work. No. How, how's that raspberry? Dark arts. Dark arts. We'll do one more, which will take us roughly to the halfway point, and then we'll pick this up next week. Um, so I, I take it, this strange engine, there isn't anything else on this strange engine, really, is there? Well, I would say no for two reasons. One being I can't think what else is on this strange engine. <laughs> I think that's a good reason. <laughs> Let's nail that on then. Let's nail that one on, yes. Good, I've got that one right. Oh, I struggle with radiation. I really struggle to pick... No, Most I don't struggle with radiation. I really, I really like radiation. <laughs> Um, I struggled with um, factor fifty. So, that's what you want. Well, the thing is, there's lots. There's there's lots of literal on or, uh, from what we've talked about on strange, uh, not strange engine on, on radiation. radiation. Yeah. So you know, answering machine is was has a lot of literal to it from things you've said in the past. Yeah. Um, and there's two or three things on there that are quite literal. So and I was because I was trying to get sort of and I know now cathedral walls quite literal as well. Yeah, that's where I used to go to try and get to sleep. So um, if I was going literal, I would have probably picked these chains, but then I put a slash and picked something different. So going in the essence for H, I went with A Few Words for the Dead. Mm. Well, it's a very similar song conceptually to Beautiful, really, um, you know, about how we are and how how we live and how we might choose to live. Um, you know, you could love, you could, you could be this bitter, prejudiced person. Uh, um, and if you're, if that's all you're taught and inculcated with from, from an early age, you'll no doubt end up like that. But, but you, or, or you could not be that, um, and I guess that comes down to the armed struggle, whether whether it's in whether it's in Ireland or Palestine or Yemen or Syria or Ukraine. Uh, but I guess the Ukrainians don't have much choice no. but to take up arms. Um, but you've got to put them down. I mean, at some point, you've got to put them down. But I, it's not simple, is it? It's, it's, no. I can't sit here and go. Those Ukrainians shouldn't be, shouldn't be trying to defend themselves. They should have just agreed with Vladimir and got on with it, you know, and been Russians. But they don't want to be Russians. A lot of them, and they shouldn't be forced to be. They should be able to be who they want to be. So. To say violence is always wrong, I don't know. But nothing good ever comes from it, no. really, long term. All that happens is a lot of women bury their children. Um, 
And and it just sows seeds of division and hate for decades and decades and generations to come. And at some point, you've got to you've got to choose you've got you've got to choose love. You've got to do it. You can't live with old hatreds. Um, no matter how obscene the the history might be, and I think that's that's the problem with Israel. That all those old animosities and, and fears and terrors, it's like it was yesterday and they they think it can happen again tomorrow and I, I don't think it could. But who you know, who who am I? Just a singer. But you've you've got to you've got to go forward with love and trust because at the end of the day Mutual mistrust is what leads to the arms race and all the the mess we're in, and it's 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 mistrust. Most of it is illusion. But if you don't trust someone else, you then create a framework to defend yourself against them, which they perceive to be a threat. So it's a self fulfilling thing. Then that then they've got good reason not to trust you. So then they they take evasive action and you go, aha, I knew they were like that. And on it goes. Um, and the only way out of it, well, who knows? Captain Kirk would say the only way out of it is, is a threat from aliens. <laughs> then we can all get together as one <laughs> with, with something we can all fight together. And um, who wouldn't want to be on the Enterprise? <laughs> You know, who wouldn't want to be on the Enterprise? Well, Lanessa would love to have been on the Enterprise because her poster boy when she was a teenager was Mr. Spock. Um, she loved Mr. Spock and had a big picture of him with his pointy ears and his bad haircut on her bedroom wall and that was the man for her. And uh, she said her father once said to her, you know, looking at your bedroom, I shudder to imagine who you're going to bring home. And... Uh, I am that thing. Are you all that? <laughs> uh, I've never thought I'd have you and Mr. Spock in the same sentence. Yes, he's my he, he was my um, competitor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think we should stop there because <laughs> I think that's massive. Uh, and, well, and I think as well, the nice thing is that if you look at a lot of what's been said this morning, you can just end this episode with with Live Long and Prosper, can't you? I could, but I'm inclined to try and do something with a ukulele. I think you should. Mm. Have you got a ukulele? <laughs> no, but I probably know someone who has. Have you, have you got an empty ukulele hanger anywhere? I've, I have. I have got hangers. I've got, I've got a ukulele hanger, actually. <laughs> have you? I have, actually. Put it in the... Do you know what? Send it in I've the post. I've actually got two. I've got two. <laughs> next got time I see you, I'll bring, I'll bring you one. I could put it next to my trumpet stand. I think you should. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to actually... I'm going to get it out now, and next time I see you, I'm going to give you a ukulele hanger. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, you're going to wake up that morning. You're just literally on the cusp of embracing minimalism, and I'm going to hand you a ukulele <laughs> hanger and throw you back years. Now look. Now look what's happened. 
That was so close. The day after the clear out, yeah, you'll give me a ukulele hanger. Then I'll have to have a fucking ukulele to put on it. Yes. Which will yes. just involve more clutter. I'm going to order one today. You should. I did actually have, I don't know where it is. Oh, the, the, the trauma of trying to find it is probably not worth it. Be, it'd be better to just buy one. But I've got, um, I've got a kind of George Formby-esque ukulele banjo uh, ah. that my grandfather gave to me um, that sat on top of the, the wardrobe and the whole time I was growing up. And every now and again, I'd get it out and go... Um, and I've still got that somewhere, but I've no clue where it's gone. I look forward to hearing this strange engine arranged for the ukulele banjo. <laughs> I mean, if there's anything going to send our Patreon, our Patreon numbers up through the roof, it's that, isn't it? Channeling George Formby yes. with this strange engine. Yes. Yeah, I, I, that, I mean, I like to feel that I try my <laughs> hand at most things, but that might be a bit um, a bit, bit of a hopeless cause, that one. Yeah, that might be the thing that sends you through that window. <laughs> do you want me to uh, do a little goodbye for the end of 116, just so you can... Tack it on the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right, okay. So that's us then for 116. Uh, but we'll come back to that. We will come back to that next week because we're about halfway through. In fact, we're not quite halfway through, but we probably won't need to describe the, the state of your music room next week, will we? So we perhaps get into it a bit quicker. <laughs> I think like you'll ten, find... Ten the, minutes quicker. The music room will be much the same next week. Yes. Well, maybe for the, we should do that for the next few episodes. I'll just start off with it, just just to check in. Is the music room still the same? <laughs> and then once we've had that, it's like the bit at the start of an AGM. Yeah. Have you brought any more ukuleles? That kind of thing. That kind of thing. That kind of thing. Well, look, I'll see you next week for 117. All righty. Uh, and then obviously we'll move on to this 17-minute arrangement of this strange engine for uke banjo literally now. Okay, you can stick that up your arse, hands. Night new and blue Hawaii The night is heavenly And you are heaven to me Welcome aboard, 
and sex. Matthias Sansu and Suzanne Rosenau. It's good to be purple. Yeah. Dreams come true in blue Hawaii. And mine could all come true this magic night of night with you. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.